0: Over the past year or so, uh, we've really been putting in work as, as, as this ministry. We've been putting in work trying to understand God's word and understand God himself. And we've, we've, we've even talked about some of the errors of other churches and other so-called Christian denominations and kind of tackled some of those errors. We've had a real focus on, on knowing the word and being able to navigate through the word ourselves, our own efforts and our work putting in work to know the word of God. And if you happen to catch, you know, the Instagram story that was posted uh, earlier this week, uh, I felt it super necessary. I just felt it super necessary to remind us all that everything we have and everything that we are, it comes from God's grace. It comes from his grace. You know, we may be tempted to think that our standing with God, though it may have started with grace is now based on our efforts in our own pursuit of God. But it's not. As I stated earlier this week, it all started with grace. It's going to end with grace. And everything in the middle, it's all God's grace. And that's why I love that song by Citizens that we we sang, the first song that we opened with, The Light of Your Grace, because it's in the light of His grace that we have been saved. It's in the light of His grace that we've been forgiven, that we are made holy, that we are loved, that we are strengthened and that we are restored even after our failures. It's all His grace. Ephesians 2:8, it says that, that it's by grace, through faith, that we have been saved. And this is the way that it is. This, this is how we come into a saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's by His grace. And it's amazing. It's an appropriate song written called Amazing Grace. It's amazing. It's incredible. We did nothing to deserve his love and his forgiveness. Nothing. We were ignorant of our need for him. And he opened our eyes to show us our need. And not only show us our need, he also supplied our need. He supplied everything. He gave us everything that we needed to be reconciled to him. We didn't do a thing. But what I find even more amazing is the fact that, even after the eye-opening experience, even after having been awakened to our need, even after having our needs supplied by His grace, His Spirit living inside of us, even after all of that, when we turn our backs on Him, even as His children, His grace still abounds all the more. You would think that after being given the understanding of sin and salvation, that this would now mean that God's expectation is that we're never to fall short again. And therefore, now we're gonna be held ultimately accountable for every time that we fall in sin, since now we know better, right? Our eyes have been opened, now we know better. It's like when, uh, you know, I was, I was uh, talking to one of the leaders earlier. Uh, there's, there's an employee who is, is about to be terminated. When they first started their job, they didn't start to set out to get fired. But over time, they start to do things that they're not supposed to do. And so you do one thing that you're not supposed to do on the job, and then when your supervisor comes and says, hey, you did this thing, you made a mistake, it's the first time you did it, but you know, don't do it again. And then the employee does it again. Like, hey, you weren't supposed to do that, just letting you know, and then they do it again. You already know you're not supposed to do this. Eventually, you mess up so many times on the job, you're going to get fired because you know better. But thank you, Jesus, that this is not how it is with the Lord. This is not how the Lord operates with us. He is faithful. He's compassionate. He's he's an infinitely gracious Father. And that's what I wanted to remind us of all, remind us all of tonight, is His grace. So the title of of tonight's short message, hopefully, uh, is In Light of Grace, in light of grace, if you're a note-taker. And the scripture that we're going to be looking at tonight is Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 15. Now, a lot of you, you may be familiar with Luke 15 and the parable, that one of the parables that's shared in Luke 15. Uh, it's commonly subtitled, The Prodigal Son. The Prodigal Son, some of you guys may know about this one. It's one of those parables that introduces us to God's character, uh, and it's, it's pretty amazing. And so the three points that we're going to be covering tonight in light of the title in light of grace Uh, point number one is uh, drop dead or give me the cash, drop dead or give me the cash. Point number two, nothing changed, nothing changed. And our third point of the night is you don't have a goat. You don't have a goat. So let's look at our first point, drop dead or give me the cash. Uh, But before we get into the text, I just want to provide some context of what we're going to be reading. So at the start of chapter 15, it says that sinners and tax collectors were coming to Jesus to hear what he had to say. They were listening to Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes, they began to complain. They began to complain and they looked down on Jesus because he was welcoming these vile, these vile people. And he was eating with them. These, these sinners and tax collectors, like how could you? And in response to this, Jesus tells a parable. About a shepherd finding one of his lost sheep, and then he also tells a parable about this woman who finds a lost coin, and how they were rejoicing after they found these lost things. And then he goes into the classic parable. I believe it's a classic. Uh, so let's read Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 11 through 19 at first. So Luke 15:11. And he said, "A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, "Father." Give me the share of the estate that falls to me." So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him to his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And we'll pause there. So one thing that we need to understand is how heart-wrenching this demand was that this youngest son made to his father. He wasn't merely asking his dad for an advance on his inheritance. It wasn't that simple. These inheritances were not given to the children until the father died. That's just how it was. So essentially, this, this, this son, this child, was wishing that his father was dead. He was wishing death upon him so that he could have his portion of the estate. Basically, like, hey, I know you're my dad and that's cool and all, but your existence is getting in the way of what I really want, which is your money. I wish you were dead so that I can have my money so you can either drop dead or just give me the cash. That's it. Not only that, this inheritance was not simply a cash inheritance. This inheritance was one that came with responsibility. His inheritance was a portion of the estate that the family owned. And with that inheritance came the responsibility to run the estate, to take over the, quote, family business, if you will. This, this child was lazy. This son was lazy. He didn't want to do the work. He just wanted the money. He wanted dad to drop dead, take the cash, and he didn't care about the hard work that his father and his father's father and his father's father's father had put in to provide for him this estate and everything that he had. This youngest son wanted to live his own way on someone else's dime. And the father in the parable, he would have had every right to just smack his son across the face and be like, you ain't getting nothing. You're getting nothing. Matter of fact, get out. You're dead to this family. He would have had every right to do that. This son, he broke the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment, which was to honor your father and your mother. And this would have been the expectation. People would have expected the father to react in this way, to disown his son. You don't do something like this and then get away with it. The entire village would have looked at this father shamefully if he allowed his son to do this thing. He would have looked at him with shame. The law of God would have been on this father's side. It would have been on the father's side if he would have have let the swift hand of his justice go across his son's face. But the father does allow it. He did allow it. He gives his son his portion of the inheritance. As though he were dead, he grants his son's wish. And whether you're a non-believer here who has never known Christ, or you are what we would call a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, this is such an apt description of all of us. You know, we, we have worked for nothing that we have. We've worked for nothing that we have. The air in our lungs, the blood in our veins, the hearts and minds that operate without any effort of our own. Not any conscience effort. God sustains us, and he has given us, he's given to us an understanding of right and wrong. Nonbelievers, they know this inherently, though they're not obedient to it, but they know that there's a right and wrong. God has given them that sense. And us believers, we know this. We know that there's right and wrong because not only do we know it inherently, but God has revealed it to us through the revelation of his word and the Holy Spirit. And though we know good and evil, our hearts lean towards evil. That's where our hearts lean. We choose our own way. We choose to live our own way while living on someone else's dime, on God's dime and God allows it. He allows it. Unregenerate sinners, they're slaves of their sin, so they're just obeying their masters. But us believers, we have a choice, and he still allows us to go on with that choice. So this kid goes out, it says that he goes far from his home to a distant country. He goes far away from all the people that he knows and those that would know him. He flees the accountability that would have been present had he stayed close to home. He just wanted to live in his sin without the burden of someone approaching him and offering some correction or some admonition. And how many of you have been there? How many of you are there? How many of you are thinking about going there to that place? You avoid God's house. You avoid God's people because you want to live in your sin. You stay far away from the fellowship to avoid accountability. You may even be showing up to the gatherings, but you refuse to actually fellowship and let anyone get too close because you don't want them to see what really fills your life. There may be people in here, you may be in an ungodly relationship and nobody knows about it. Yeah, they know that, you know, yeah, you got a boyfriend or you got a girlfriend, but they don't know that you're you're unequally yoked. But there's some of you in here you may be unequally yoked, or now you may be in a relationship with somebody who does not care about Jesus. And you're compromising. There's some in here you may be addicted to pornography. Maybe you got some apps on your phone. And maybe it's not even outright like hardcore pornography. Maybe it's just like the soft form of it, where there's these websites and apps where you can look at things where it's not necessarily sexual, but it's, oh, it's it's feeding something. It's feeding some sort of lust. There's some of you in here, maybe that's going on. There's some of you in here, you may be habitual liars, just lying all the time, working overtime to try to cover up your lies so that nobody finds out how big of a liar you are. Or maybe you're not working that hard because you're that good at it. There's some of you in here, you may be having premarital sex. You're not married, but you're having sex. And not even somebody that you're in a relationship with. You're just having, going out having random sex. Nobody knows about it. Some of you in here, you might be smoking weed. Some of you in here might be doing coke. Some of you in here may be on painkillers, and you have no pain. Some of you may be abusing codeine. Nobody knows about it. Some of you in here may be giving in to homosexual tendencies. These thoughts cross your mind and you're just like, well, this is just who I am. So I'm just going to go ahead and give into it. It's not just who you are. It's not. These things, these are sins that you are struggling with. Sins that you are struggling with. It may even be a thorn in your flesh. It may be something that you're going to live with for the rest of your life. But it's not just who you are. It's it's what you're supposed to be fighting against. Because you have ultimate victory in Christ. We all have ultimate victory in Christ. And we, as God's people, here's an admonition for everybody. We, as God's people, we ought not to treat people according to their sins or their struggles. What do I mean by that? If I know a guy who struggles with lust, maybe he just, you know, yeah, he just, he's addicted to pornography. He just, that's what he wants, but he's fighting against it. I'm not going to go up to him in my effort to relate to him and be like, Hey man, did you see that girl? Man, See, see, what, see, what, she's, see what she's working with? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to address my brother according to his struggle or to his sin. I'm going to address him according to his victory in Christ. I'm not going to give in to that sin so that he can feel comfortable. He needs to die to that. Similarly, you know, there may be people in here who are struggling with homosexuality. You may be having, if you're, if you're a girl in here, maybe you're, you're having lesbian tendencies, and you have, or bisexual tendencies or whatever, we as God's people should not be treating others according to their sins or their struggles. I am not going to treat you like a man. I, I, used, I spent a lot of time in the world. I spent 19 years, 20 years in the world living as a heathen. For those of you who have spent time in the world, you know what I'm talking about, treating people according to their sin. There may be some guys in here who are struggling with homosexual tendencies, homosexual thoughts. I am not going to treat you according to your struggle or your sin. I'm going to treat you like a man. I'm going to treat you like a brother in Christ. I am not going to give in to your tendencies to make you feel comfortable. Because you have victory in Christ. That is not who you are. That's what you're struggling with. And so you guys, we have to help each other out. We can't treat each other according to our sins or our struggles. Treat your brothers like brothers. Treat your sisters like sisters. Just one more thing. You know, I've, I've seen, I've seen, where, you know, uh, a guy will walk up to a girl, who, you know, kind of seems like he's struggling with something, and he's just he's very friendly, very touchy. Touchy, touchy, touchy. Because if this was the BC days, it's totally acceptable, right? I mean, you know, you know nothing's going on. You know, you know, there's no threat there. But that's not who we are. We are redeemed. We have ultimate victory in Christ. Do not treat your brothers according to their struggles or their sins. Do not treat your sisters according to their struggles or their sins. Treat your sisters like sisters. Treat your brothers like brothers. Holy But you guys, maybe there's a lot of people in here struggling with all of these things, and no one knows about it. Because though you're here, though you may be here, your heart and your mind are in a distant country, just like this kid. Pastor Steve has stated multiple times that sin will take you farther than you're willing to go, it will cost you more than you're willing to pay, and it will keep you longer than you're willing to stay. And that's what happened to this kid in this parable. After the the initial fleeting pleasure of sin, After all of his money runs out, and all of his friends run out on him, he's left impoverished and starving. After all of his money runs out, impoverished and starving, and he's looking to feed himself, he's looking to feed his hunger with things that are not meant for human consumption. How many of you have ever been here in this place, where you turned your back on the truth to go follow after your own way, and then once you've bankrupted yourself, You look to false ideologies and false belief systems to give you peace, to give you what you need. Things that are not fit for human consumption. The power of positive thinking, the secret, the universe is going to give me what I need. Minimalism, veganism, atheism, agnosticism, Islam, Hinduism, social justice, warriorism, wokeism, these things that are not fit for human consumption. It's trash. You turn to these things for sustenance, just like this dude turned to the things that were, they were feeding the pigs with. Those things weren't edible, but he was seeking to feed himself with these things. And then a lot of times when we go and turn away from the Lord, we turn to these things that are not fit for human consumption. These things do not give us life. Because it's always been and always has been the word of God in Jesus Christ that can provide us with all the sustenance that we need for life, always. Second Peter 1, 2 says that his divine power is granted to us everything that we need for life and godliness, everything. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 says that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In him is life, and that life was the light of all mankind. But then this kid comes to a senses, he realizes that though he may have ruined his position of being a son in his father's home, though he may have left a permanent stain on himself in the mind of his father, he thought maybe, just maybe his father would be merciful enough to at least make him a servant. Maybe he can work his way back into his dad's good, good graces. Yeah, you know I ruined my inheritance, I wasted it. I'm not worthy to be his son, but if I could just be a slave in his house, if I could just be a servant, that will be enough. Anything is better than where I am right now. And I've definitely been in that place. I've been there. In the past, I've there have been times where I've fallen so hard. I've fallen so hard into sin that I began to think that I had to punish myself before coming back to God. Y'all know what that means? You know what that feels like? That I had to spend time away from the Lord before I could earn the right to be acceptable to him again. Like I can't go to him right away. I have to suffer in depression and loneliness for a few days before I can rack up enough points to come back. I have to not do that sin for a while. If I fell to pornography, okay, then I have to spend a few days, maybe even a few weeks, not falling into that sin so that I can be acceptable to God once again. That's how our minds work. But let's see how God's mind works as we look at our second point. Nothing changed. And let's read Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. So he got up and came to his father. But while he he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. And we'll pause there. There are a few things going on there. So let's try to unpack it all. The father saw his son coming. He saw his son coming. He went out to meet him and he embraced him. So first of all, some of you may be familiar with this, but running, no, not something that a man of status does. Not something that a man of status would do in these, in these times. It was unheard of. They do not run. It would be... Uh, it, just, it, w- it wouldn't be right because it would mean that they had to gird up their, their tunic, exposing their legs. And apparently exposing your legs in those times was just, no, you do not do that. So a man of status running, not going to happen. But here Jesus is describing this man of status running to meet his son as his son was approaching the village The word that was used here where it says that he ran and embraced his son is a word that was used for running a race, like running to win. This father was eager to get to his boy, eager. And that's extremely significant to know because this boy chose his inheritance over his father. This boy chose his inheritance over his father. He dishonored his father. And according to Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21, children, listen to this. This son should have been stoned to death. This son should have been killed by the village. He was rebellious, and he did not obey his parents, a crime that is worthy of capital punishment according to God's law. And it would have been a shameful thing. Again, it would have been a shameful thing for this father to receive his son back into the family. It was already shameful enough that he allowed his son to take his inheritance, basically wishing that his father was dead. Now it's even doubly shameful if this father were to accept his son back into the family. But not only was he willing to receive him back, he was eager to receive him back. He was watching and waiting for his son to come back. That's why he was able to see his son coming when he was still a long way off. He was watching and waiting for his son to come back. And as he ran out to meet his son... No doubt everyone in the town observed this man of status shamefully running to meet and embrace his disgrace of a son. But he didn't care about the shame. He did not care about the shame. He just wanted to receive his son back into the family. And not only that, because this son's offense was punishable by death, the father meets his son outside of the village. So as they re-entered into the village. If anyone, if anyone wanted to condemn his son to death, they were gonna to have to go through him first. He went out to embrace his son so that as they came back and anybody who wanted to condemn his son to death, you gotta go through me first. You gotta stone me first. And I hope to God that you guys all see the parallel here. I hope you all see it. Even in the midst of our sin and rebellion, God is waiting for us to return. He is watching for us. He sees us. And the minute that we turn our hearts to return to him, he's already running toward us to receive us, eagerly. The accuser of the brethren, the enemy of our souls, Satan, he may be shouting out our offenses. He may be shouting out all the things that we've done. He may be accusing us before God, He may be trying to convince us that God would be ashamed to receive us back into his fold. And that's what keeps us from turning to him. But God doesn't care about the supposed shame. Because he has taken care of the shame by the work that he did on the cross. He took on the shame, despising it because of the joy that was set before him, you and me. And so he's racing toward us. God is. He's racing toward us to receive us and to ensure us that we are no longer condemned. Christ was condemned for us. And just like the father in this parable embraced his son, and if anyone wanted to condemn his son, they had to go through him first, so too our heavenly father is letting us know that if anyone wants to condemn us, even Satan, they have to go through Jesus Christ first. He is our defender. He is our advocate. First John 2, 1 and 2 says that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And it's so amazing that the son, when he went to go his, meet the Father, he didn't even get to finish his, his, his rehearsed speech. He didn't get to go through all of it. He was supposed to say, Basically, I sinned against you, I'm not worthy to be your son, please just make me a servant. But the father doesn't even let him finish. He doesn't even let him finish before he tells his servants to bring out all of the items that would prove to everyone that this prodigal is still his son and every bit a part of the family. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. There was no earning his way back. There was no suffering for a while before he could come back. As soon as his father saw him returning, he was instantly back in the family as if he never left. And that's how it is with us. We don't need to punish ourselves. You don't need to punish yourself. We don't need to suffer for a few days or a few weeks after we've fallen into sin and then we come back to God. We don't need to listen to the voice of the enemy when he tells us that God would be ashamed to receive us back into his fold. Psalm 86 five says for you, Lord are good and ready to forgive and abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon you. He is ready to forgive. He's ready. He's not waiting for you to punish yourself, for you to pay the price for your own sins and after you've done enough time, then you can come to him. Absolutely not. He is ready to forgive you. He's ready. And he has already taken care of your sins. That's why last week during the baptisms, one of the questions that I asked to everybody who was getting baptized, I said, I asked, do you believe that all of your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future? Because that's what's happened. We have to believe this. You have to believe this because that's what's happened. That's what That's what he's done. That's why he went to the cross. He has atoned for all of your sins, all of them. He has paid the price for all of your sins. He has cleansed you of all of your sins. You are completely spotless and clean and perfect in his eyes. Because when you first believed, Jesus Christ took all of your sins and imperfections, he nailed them to the cross. And then, He could have stopped there, but he kept going. And then he took his righteousness, his perfection, and he gave it to you. He traded you. It's glorious. And it's all because of his grace. It's all grace. He is not ashamed. Rather, he wants to celebrate your repentance and your return. He wants to celebrate it. What an amazing father we have. Amen? It's amazing. So now let's finish off the parable as we look at our third point. You don't have a goat. And let's read Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth, with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So now as we briefly look at the other son, we see that this guy was just as lost And without hope as the prodigal son. This son, the oldest son, was self righteous. He was self righteous. Although he seemed like the one who was the obedient one to his father, while this younger brother was out there bringing shame to the family, he was just as in need of grace as his younger brother was. He was just as in need of the grace of his father. First of all, he obviously didn't care about his younger brother. Obviously. Instead of being happy about his brother's return from a life of sinful living, he's upset that there's a party going on in his honor. Instead of being happy for his dad, who was obviously super excited about his youngest son coming back from the dead, he tries to make his dad feel bad about his joy and excitement. Instead of earlier in the parable, coming to his dad's defense or even trying to stop his brother from going into that sinful living by taking his inheritance early, he just lets it happen without saying a word. And instead of understanding that everything that his father owns, he owns already and he has open access to it, he pouts that his father never gave him and his friends an animal to party with. This is a self-righteous and narcissistic man who needs the grace of God. Self-righteous and narcissistic people, they don't like when others are given attention, especially if they think that the person getting the attention is not as good as they are. They can't be happy when others are experiencing God's kindness and love because they themselves don't know what it is to experience God's kindness and love. Too busy being self-righteous. This guy is getting this huge celebration. Even though he was living in complete rebellion against you, Dad? What about me? What have I ever gotten? I've been obeying you since day one. But you haven't. But you haven't. You have a form of godliness, but you don't know God. Because if you knew him, if you knew him, you would know that God's excitement and joy over the prodigal son returning is the same joy and excitement that he has for you. You have a a fatted calf available to you. You have a fatted calf available to you. You have a feast that can feed 200 people available to you. But you're complaining because you don't have a goat to share among your friends. Your expectations of God are so low Because your true God is yourself. And how many of you have been this person before? your view of God is so small, your expectations of God are so small, your faith in God is so small because the God that you are looking to is actually yourself, you need to be set free from yourself and understand that you cannot please God with the things that you do with your works. Your deeds will never be enough to please God. What pleases God is your faith in his son and what he has done on the cross. What pleases God is your trust in him and not in yourself. God told Abraham that he was going to make him a father of many nations and Abraham believed God and that belief was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Nothing Abraham did was credited to him as righteousness. Nothing he did made him right with God. It was his belief, his faith in what God had said of him. He believed it to be true. And now God is telling you that your sin can be forgiven. You can be set free from your sin. You can have abundant life. You can be alive in Christ. You can have the assurance that you will be in heaven with him forever. You can have the salvation and eternal life if you would just believe, if you would just believe. And if you do, he will credit that belief to you as righteousness, not anything that you do. There's nothing that you can do to earn it, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing you can do to work for it, nothing that you can do to suffer for it, nothing that you can do. This is all because of of grace. This is all true in light of his grace. Do you guys believe this? Yes? Let's pray.